What if I had a very special friend? And he calls me up and he says to me, Ian, uh, I've moved to a new area. There's a new church in the area, immediate here, and they've come to the door and they've invited me to come along. They're Seventh-day Adventists. And from all that I've heard already, they appear to be as any other Protestant church. They don't have any priests. In fact, they are anti-Roman Catholic. And of course, talking to me, they would probably say, surely that would be a good thing. And I would say, well, anybody that has seen the light about Roman Catholicism is a good thing. And I would say that that certainly would be a plus. And he goes on to say they have no weird ceremonies. They have, of course, communion and baptism, although they do encourage foot washing uh, before each communion, at least in some assemblies. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Our program today is on the Seventh-day Adventists. We're titling the message, Guilt or Grace? And that's the great issue with the Seventh-day Adventists. There are those who do not refer to them as a cult. There are those who do not refer to them as an aberrant religion. But I have done some homework on the Seventh-day Adventists and discovered that to sit under such a ministry is to be under guilt, not grace. Now, you remember that justification by faith alone is the standing or falling of the true church or the true Christian. And justification by faith alone is what we must look for when we uh, analyze any ministry. In Romans chapter 4, we read about Abraham that he was justified by faith. Let me read to you uh, verse 21 of Romans chapter 4. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And it is this matter of justification that is the vital component of true gospel preaching and teaching. And any religion, any church, any religious organization that denies, denounces, neglects justification by faith alone has fallen away from the gospel. You cannot read the New Testament and not know this. It is discovered in the book of Romans, and it's discovered in the book of Galatians. We are not justified by the works of the flesh, but by faith. And this word imputeth means that you have a transfer of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus to us, and our sins are transferred to him. There is that double imputation, whereby we are justified by faith alone. And on the basis of our justification, we are accepted in the beloved, our worship is accepted, and then our service for God is accepted on the basis of the atoning work 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I look at the Seventh-day Adventist ministry, I don't see this. And I don't see a message of mercy and grace, but rather I see a tremendous amount of guilt. So I hope that you'll stay tuned with us as we look at this today and that the Lord will lead and guide. We're also going to give you some facts of what's on the Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale uh, on Sunday for Sunday school and our services. And uh, we want to share uh, that with you and extend an invitation for you to come and join to worship with us here at the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. And also you can tune in on the webcam. You can go to your computer, to our website, www.cloverdalefpc.ca, and at 10.30 Sunday mornings, 6 p.m. Sunday evenings, you can go to your computer, click on that website, go to uh, Live Now, and there you will be able to join in on your computer in our free Presbyterian services here in Cloverdale. So we look forward to having you with us in person or by webcam. Now may the Lord richly bless as you stay tuned with us. Our hymn today is quite brief, but I trust it will be a blessing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Let that set our the tone of our message today because we do desire that we might worship the Lord and glorify him in our words, our deeds, our thoughts. May your heart be blessed today. What if I had a very special friend, and he calls me up, and he says to me, Ian, uh, I've moved to a new area. There's a new church in the area, immediate here, and they've come to the door, and they've invited me to come along. They're Seventh-day Adventists, and from all that I've heard already, they appear to be as any other Protestant church. They don't have any priests. In fact, they are anti-Roman Catholic. And of course, talking to me, they would probably say, surely that would be a good thing. And I would say, well, anybody that has seen the light about Roman Catholicism is a good thing. And I would say that that certainly would be a plus. And he goes on to say they have no weird ceremonies. They have, of course, communion and baptism, although they do encourage foot washing. Uh, before each communion, at least in some assemblies. They appear to adhere closely to the Bible. In fact, many of their preachers preach with the Bible in hand like this. And they will uh, present to their people a, a very strong adherence uh, to the written Word of God. They, in many cases, use the King James Version of the Bible, which is a good thing. And I am told 
This is the person now speaking to me. I am told that they don't make many references to that woman prophet, Ellen White. It may happen occasionally, but that's not the focus of their ministry. They have traditional hymns and, for the most part, conservative music. They are conservative in dress and in morality, very strong on the family. They do not preach easy believism, uh, encouraging people just to make a profession of faith and live any which way they like. They put a tremendous emphasis upon the Ten Commandments for today, that they are still in place for the New Testament Christian. And of course, to those familiar with Reformed Protestantism, that is a very good thing. Not like in dispensationalist churches, where they say, well, that's the Old Testament, we're now living in the New, that was law, we're now under grace. And so my friend says, I have found a church that talks about the Ten Commandments. And uh, they would encourage me to keep these Ten Commandments. Another plus is that they're very zealous about witnessing and foreign missions. They support many or causes in third world countries and, of course, to take the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They also tithe generously. They believe in giving a minimum of 10% of their income to the promotion of the cause of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And surely that would be commendable. And so my friend says to me, what do you think? Should I get on board? Should I take my family along and have my children uh, taught and get involved in this organization? Can that be a safe church home for me, my wife, family, where I might worship and serve the Lord? Well, you know, it just comes out of the blue to me, and I say to him, well, I don't want to be too hasty, and I don't want to prejudge. Uh, maybe I should get back to you. And let me do a little bit of research that I can, in an honest, fair way, uh, inform you of what is the reality and the background and the practice of the Seventh-day Adventists. And, of course, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, we are exhorted that if we love our brother, um, we will encourage and we will not want to be divisive. And that brotherly love is also known by keeping the commandments. And so if here are people who are earnest about keeping the commandments, I don't want to discourage them. I don't want to be the one that's holding someone back from keeping the commandments of God. And so in this situation, I must be very careful in how I advise and direct uh, this friend about future uh, involvement in the Seventh-day Adventists. So, what do I do? I give myself some homework to do. And I start to look into the whole background ministry of the Seventh-day Adventists. And of course, there are many resources. You know, we can look at what William Miller taught. He is the initial founder of Seventh-day Adventists prior to 1843. There is what Ellen G. White taught and her writings, still available. And then there is what present-day Seventh-day Adventist pastors, teachers, evangelists teach. 
And there's easy access to that because they make heavy use of technology. You can go on the computer and get their sermons and messages very easily. And it gives you an up-to-date assessment, or at least you can assess, you know, how they present the Word of God and what emphases they are making on certain principles or certain ideas. Then something else that I want to check out, and that is, what are the marks of a cult? You know, it is generally, not by every evangelical, but generally considered that the Seventh-day Adventist is a cult. So we want to check that out. And I go to a Hokuma who has written extensively on cults, not just Seventh-day Adventists, but on a number of different cults, major cults, and uh, I look up. What are the marks of a cult? And the general traits of a cult, number one, they make an, an abrupt break from Christianity over something or other. But there is this break from Orthodox Christianity in the history of the church. They're quite happy, this is the second point, they're quite happy to remain separatist, to have some ID marker that makes them different from the church at large. The cultist also has a tendency to major in minors. Some particular issue that they really make it a hobby horse. And they drive it to death. And so often at the expense of the truth. Fourthly, a cultist has a tendency to perfectionism. There is absolute rigorous uh, introduction to what you must do and must not do. Other traits of a cult which are very specific is an extra biblical authority, something beyond the Bible or added to the Bible. Then there's the denial of justification by faith alone. That is very often the mark of a cult. And then there are the claims that they are the only community of the saved or that they stand out with a particular ministry that no other church has, they have a corner on the truth that others don't. And so, having looked at these things, I look into the SDAs and I want to ask, do they match up or have they got some of these traits of a cult? I find that there was an early prediction in the early years of the Seventh-day Adventists that Christ would return in the year 1843. That was a prediction made by William Miller. But he became a very disillusioned man when it didn't happen. And then he rescheduled the date for 1844. It didn't happen. And he died in a very disillusioned state. Now, how did he ever reach the verdict that 1843-44 was the year that the Lord was going to return. Well, he went to Daniel 8.14, talks about 2,300 days. And then he went to Daniel that talks about the 70 weeks, and he got 457 B.C. Then he went forward 2,300 years, and he ended up with 1843. He was convinced that the Lord was going to return, but it didn't happen. Now, in the midst of the Millerites, there was a man called Hiram Edson. He came up with another theory 
and said, well, William Miller was not altogether wrong. He just didn't get the full picture. And 1843-44 was really the date when the Lord would move from one compartment of the heavenly sanctuary into the next or second compartment of the heavenly sanctuary, and he would enter into what is called his investigative judgment ministry. And uh, that was the year that it took place. Now, this came to him in the middle of a field as some kind of a premonition or revelation And that theory, he sold it well, that many bought it, and it became one of the big distinctives of the Seventh-day Adventists from then on, that the Lord took up this new investigative judgment ministry, 1843. And to this day, Seventh-day Adventists defend this notion, this doctrine of the investigative judgment, this second compartment of the sanctuary where the Lord investigates every case of every believer to see if they are worthy. And to this day, they contend that this is a main distinctive, a main platform truth of their organization. And that in the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant churches didn't get this. And this is a part of the truth that churches are missing, lacking, and therefore don't have the whole truth. Now, Seventh-day Adventists do not believe that the Bible teaches in eternal hell. They believe that there will be punishment or torment for the wicked during the millennium, but it will not be eternal. They do believe in the Trinity. They believe in the deity of Christ. They preach quite a bit about the blood of Jesus They talk about being saved, converted, or committed to the Lord. They also talk about being saved by faith and by grace. And in a controversy between Walter Martin and Seventh-day Adventists, right in the 1950s, they supplied written document evidence from their Questions on Doctrine, as one of their doctrinal books, that they do believe on justification by faith and salvation by grace. So, what could be wrong with the SDAs? What could be so terribly outlandish about joining up, getting on board, or advising my friend? Ah, probably would be a good thing. Well, it's a bit like the politics where a political party will put out what they might call their party manifesto, a booklet of statements and saying, this is what we stand for as a political party. Then when they get into power, do they live up to what they say? And this is where we have to be discerning and we have to be observant because they can claim many things that sound evangelical, sound biblical, but in practice deny those professions. Now, I have to ask then, are the Seventh-day Adventists in their weekly church services given the full message of the gospel to liberate souls from the ways of sin, 
Or are they bombarded with the whole issues of the Ten Commandments, Saturday Sabbath keeping, to such a degree that they lose the liberty of the gospel? Now, you can see that I'm narrowing this down. I'm narrowing this down to the issue of what it takes to set a person free. And of course, the, well, I won't get ahead of myself, but as we narrow it down, I need to come up with some very strong reasons to pick up the phone and call my friend and say, don't go. I need to have some pretty firm uh, conclusions and good evidence and good facts. So what would that be? Well, firstly, we need to look at their rank Arminianism. They adamantly oppose the doctrine of eternal security of the believer. Adamantly. In fact, I listened on the internet to one of their evangelists who called John Calvin's doctrine of eternal security, doctrine of devils. And of course, they say that only promotes easy believism, that people can live as they like and do as they like, and uh, that's the easy way out. But the two most important questions that you will ever be asked is, number one, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. The second one is, what must I do to be lost? If I have asked the Lord Jesus into my heart to be my Savior, what now does it take that I would lose my soul? One sermon title I noted from a Seventh-day preacher not far from here. Uh, they have their sermons online, a bit similar to what we do in our church, only a different website. And the sermon title was, How to Stay Saved. Now, when I noted that, it was early on in my project, my homework, uh, and I wasn't really aware that that's a big issue in Seventh-day Adventists. How to stay saved. Here's another excerpt taken from a little article that says, Who shall be able to stand? And this came by email to me by a man who attends this church once in a while, and he sends me a whole lot of Seventh-day Adventist material, and he found out about the subject title for this message here, and he sent me some more, and here it is. Who shall be able to stand? And then the quote is, only as we accept the gift of Christ's righteousness, which includes the experience of both justification and sanctification, can we be assured that we will not suffer one of the most tragic consequences recorded in the words of Jesus. You know that passage saying, some will say, Lord, Lord, and the Lord says, I never knew you. Now the error in this theology is, justification and sanctification. If you know anything about the Protestant Reformation, about Protestant doctrine, the, just, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, it is a huge error to mix sanctification with justification. Because sanctification is a work in progress. Justification is an act. It happens once. 
Our shorter catechism uh, puts it very, very well. Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardoneth us from all our sins and accepteth us righteous. It is a once deal. But the moment that you confuse justification with sanctification, you destroy the doctrine. You destroy the foundation upon which a sinner is justified and you cloud and confuse the whole matter. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Here is a quote from Mr. Spurgeon on the authority of the Bible. Never be afraid of your Bibles. If there is a text of Scripture you dare not meet, humble yourself till you can. If your creed and Scripture do not agree, cut your creed to pieces, but make it agree with this book. If there be anything in the church to which you belong— which is contrary to the inspired word, leave that church. And another quote, Have you never noticed that some people who are ill and are ordered to take pills are foolish enough to chew them? That is a very nauseous thing to do, though I have done it myself. The right way to take medicine of such a kind is to swallow it at once. In the same way, there are some things in the Word of God which are undoubtedly true, which must be swallowed at once by an effort of faith, and must not be chewed by perpetual questioning. Let the difficult doctrines go down whole into the very soul by a grand exercise of confidence in God. On Bible criticism, he that reads his Bible to find fault with it will soon discover that the Bible finds fault with him. And then again, let those give up the inspiration of the Bible who can afford to do so. But you and I cannot. Let those cast away the sure promise of God who have got something else to comfort them, but who can go to their philosophy or turn to their self-conceit. But as for you and for me, it is a desperate matter for us if this book be not true. And therefore, let us be ready to defend it at all hazards, and if need be, to die for it. O brethren, it were better to die, that book being true, than to live, that book being false. If we are left in doubt as to which part is inspired and which is not, we are as badly off as if we had no Bible at all. I hold no theory of inspiration. I accept the inspiration of the Scriptures as a fact. And there we all must stand as we think of how we handle our Bibles as the written and the living inspired Word. So, my friends, go to your Bible. Make full use of it. Let that Word reign and rule in your heart and mind. And let your life be full of the truth of Scripture and you will find yourself that you will be bled to the blessing of God. Thank you for joining with us. Stay tuned over these final announcements. 
You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.